Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the 81 All Out podcast. I promise that this will be a very special episode uh, and I have two very special guests with me. But first for introductions, so I'm Siddhartha Vaidyanathan at Sidvi on Twitter and uh, along with me I have uh, from Lahore, I have Hassan Chima who is the manager of uh, Islamabad United and also writes on uh, cricket in various platforms. Hi Hassan. Hi, Sidvi. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. And uh, we have from Karachi, we have uh, Ehmer. I hope I got the pronunciation right. Uh, freelance Bang writer. On. Okay, fantastic. And uh, that's a name I've slipped up with often in the past. I'm glad I got it now. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm sure most of you listening to the podcast uh, follow these uh, two on Twitter. But if you don't, uh, Hassan is uh, at Media Gag. And then you can follow uh, at uh, Karachi Katmal. So uh, very, very uh, good. Both very insightful writers on cricket. So please follow them. So coming to the topic, um, I initially wanted to talk about uh, Pakistan's tour to Australia in 1999. Uh, We do a lot of uh, memory-based podcasts here on 81 All Out. And I thought uh, it's 20 years since that tour. And Pakistan are also back in Australia uh, this year for another series. So I thought it will be good to look back. But then uh, thinking about it, uh, I decided to expand the scope a bit and talk about uh, 1999 as a whole with respect to cricket in Pakistan. Uh, as uh, Osman Samyuddin uh, writes in his uh, seminal work, The Unquiet Ones, he, said, he says about that year that uh, around the same time, the tension brought out from Pakistan some electrifying cricket, and he calls it the fluorescent flicker of the flames of a potentially, uh, the last fluorescent flicker of the flames of a potentially great team. So the tension that he's referring to, of course, is uh, all the uh, match-fixing rumors slash allegations slash news that were flying around at that time. (laughs) There was also a small matter of a war with India that happened in 1999, and then there was a military coup that happened. So, uh, guys, I think it's fair to say it's just another year in Pakistan, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's start off uh, talking about uh, your memories of that uh, year as a whole. Where were you uh, in your uh, respective lives at that stage? What did you think of that team? And uh, then we can take it from there. Yeah, so uh, maybe Hassan, you can start off. So, I turned 12 that year and basically you talk about, you know, how sportsmen, how a sports fan, the peak of their fandom is when they're 12 years old. So, that year to me was sort of like until that Australia tour was sort of like the personification of what we think of when we think of the 90s side. Even though I went back and looked at the numbers for this podcast and like the numbers really shocked me because it was like, from 96 till 2002, Pakistan won three out of 15 bilateral series. And in 97 and 98, both Pakistan lost more ODIs than they won. So like that, in both cases, they appeared to be a mediocre to bad side. But you look at 1999, and but what the fans always had and what they got in 1999 was that if you appointed the right captain and like everyone was moving in the same direction, then what you could have was like 
this great year before 99 in the five years before that pakistan had won one sharjah cup in 99 pakistan won both sharjah cups they drew slash won a series in india depends on uh, which side of the radcliffe line you are on and then they had the 99 world cup and there was a whole generation of like that was the year azak blew up that was the year shoaib akhtar announced himself to the world so that was that almost seemed like you know the latest page in that 90s generation no one knew at the time that this would be you know uh, that i at uh, 12 years old would have the peak of my fandom life and until right now that's proven to be the case <laughs> i think uh, a lesson here is that uh, for everyone is that uh, not to uh, look too deeply into numbers and uh, <laughs> and uh, scorecards uh, of the of the years past because yeah. <laughs> invariably invariably you will be disappointed <laughs> and yeah. the, the all the great memories will seem like absolutely stupid when you look back at it yeah when i look back at it it's like pakistan in my mind was like this a uh, superb team that only ever lost to south africa like every time they played south africa they lost but any against anyone else pakistan would win if as long as they hadn't sold the match basically <laughs> okay now that we have the uh, lahore side of uh, things can we have the karachi side of things which i'm assuming is uh, the polar opposite as it usually is in many cases <laughs> <laughs> i i think um, for me when you brought when you suggested doing a podcast on the year 99 i was super excited because i've been obsessed um <laughs> with that entire year at a cricketing level at a national level at a personal level for a very long time um for a very long time i had this film script in mind set in 99 um and uh, and the so like hasan said he turned 12 that year i turned 16 that year and it was a really really significant year for me this was uh, during this year um i was elected um this is a term that in the colonial world we all understand when i went to the us they used to make a lot of fun of me for it but i was elected as head boy um <laughs> and yes um, i very well know what that term means yeah yeah <laughs> and then um i i asked out a girl for the first time I had my first relationship in 99 um i <clears throat> you know it was the year that uh, i i think i was driving a car then but i definitely went on my first date um in 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 that if i it's it's not how we would understand a date but it was definitely a date <laughs> in, in terms of its intentions um and and there was there was also i i need to look it up but there there'd been a lot of really good music coming out uh before this year i'm not sure how good a year 99 was actually i think uh, music wise maybe might not have been like it but all in all and, and then again actually the kind of um, if we step outside a little bit further outside of pakistan Um 99 is also a landmark year for like really amazing films. Um and again a lot of these uh I'm not sure if I saw them in 99 itself uh but they really uh you know affected me for a very very long time. So um in the midst of all of that the cricket um like I know that I've written at least I guess three different nostalgia pieces set to different moments in this year and uh, <laughs> I really can spend like 8 hours talking about this. Like I I'll start with the first one. Because this happens um, in February of '99, so uh, this is the uh, this is the, the the Test match in uh, Kolkata, which is either the third match of the series or the first match of the Asian Test Championship. Um, and we were in 
class 10, which we in our school used to be called O-Levels first year. Um, and we, at that time in our school, what you had to do was that you had to attend um, the social community service things on Saturdays. Um, and we had just become old enough that, you know, like bunking was cool. And um, especially if you're going outside of school and you're getting away from the authorities' eyes, it was it was a big deal. Um, and so we were sent to this, uh, there's this place uh, in Karachi, it's called Darul Sukoon, and so differently abled uh, children and, and people who've been abandoned by their families. Um, and instead of doing decent work, <laughs> spending time there, we all um, had a friend who lived nearby. And so we decided to go to our house. And um, and we really didn't have much of a plan other than the fact that we were just going to, you know, create, do this uh, discretion. And we were all super excited about it. And so we like made sure no one was looking and we snuck out and we walked and we got to her place. And, um, and then we didn't really know what to do. And her mom was like a bit annoyed that, I, I don't have any food made. Why are all your friends here? Um, so we put on the cricket and uh, we, we put on the match and um, and, and Pakistan's bowling. And uh, so Shweb Akhtar, like not, the same way like Chima went back and looked at the scorecards. Um, for me, I had to look back and realize that, you know, I, I had seen Shweb Akhtar before. He'd got towards South Africa. It'd been a big deal or briefly been a big deal back then. But in the perfect sense of that memory that remained for that so long it was just we're all these you know uh, 15 16 year olds we're this is our first major bunk of our life we don't know what to do so we put on the cricket it's Pakistan playing India awesome and the way I remember it and it's probably not true is that the first ball we see uh, Dravid gets out and we're all super excited we're kind of like who is this guy and oh my god this is amazing this and that but what I clearly remember and I think anyone in Pakistan who's alive that time remembers this is that they cut away from the main commentators and they go to Chalu Sharma and Tony Gregg, oh. um, who then spend the next four to five minutes talking about <laughs> why uh, there's 100,000 people at the Eden Gardens who've just shown up to watch Sachin. Um, and then they went on and on and on and on. Yeah, and if, on if, Tony Gregg, if Tony Gregg was there, I'm sure he would have gone on and on about Sachin anyway. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember all of us um, you know, for the first minute or so, we're kind of like, all right, yeah, for whatever. But we're still really pumped about, about Shoei Bakhtar's, you know, blowing up the wickets. And so we wanted to see a replay. We wanted to see something like that. But instead, they're just showing Sachin walking up, the crowd cheering, Sachin looking to the sun, etc., etc. And then obviously, we know what happens next. And I have no memory of that day after that. Um, but it was, it, 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 like, it, it's one of those moments in life where, when something happens and you're for a second you step outside of life and you're like is this really happening like this is this is you know even a, a movie script wouldn't go this far for me the, watching Shoaib Akhtar bowl especially in 99 when he was really both this kind of new prospect so you can't have too much disappointment with him and he was just so blazingly fast that he he knocks Vakar out of the contention um, it was like doing, you know, cocaine or something. Like it was just <laughs> injecting drugs straight into your bloodstream. Like I think, uh, I think like the if you if you're and, and and you have to keep in mind that like for somebody like me, right? Like we've spent now three years since Wasim Akram uh, didn't play in Bangalore, and everyone was like fixer, fixer, fixer. And then you know, for somebody like me who worship Wasim, it was just like all my 
uncles and elders and you know the 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 cooler kids in the neighborhood they're all like over oh, seems a fixer and they're all fixers and why <laughs> why do you watch cricket you should watch wrestling instead which everybody also watched <laughs> so yeah uh, which is of course also, entirely uh, genuine which <laughs> yeah a peak a peak era at, at, for wrestling in at least, least they're upfront about it <laughs> yeah and yeah. um and so 99 really was shaping up like the revenge tour you know 99 was the year where like all those people who so again like i didn't have a lot of relatives uh, who were into cricket so i didn't have to deal with uh, imran fandom or you know the 80s era side fandom <laughs> but again like i you know in later years i've 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 thrown this in as well that you know it felt like for everyone who doubted the 90s era this was their redemption year for everyone who is like you know, they're not consistent like everybody believed that they were the most talented team ever but they were fixers so you know the way hasan put it that if they were up for it and they hadn't if they hadn't thrown the match then they could beat anyone except south africa and um that was the logic that we all operated in and and in this year it, it really took to another level right so it's like um again i'm going to use a lot of really cliche uh, examples here but it's really elevating from a crush to a relationship right because when it's a crush it's like it's an unrequited thing and you know you're disappointed and it's this and that but this year it felt like all right you know this team which eventually you realized it was a team full of and representative of a fuck boy but for 99 you kind of felt like you fell in love and you're like yes this is going to this is going to work out forever we're going to win this world cup and you know um we 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 morally beat in india and uh, they clearly cheated in the, the to let kumble get to 10 wickets but other than that we still on top and you know we found our mojo back and and actually there was also you know the idea in in 90s especially in pakistan cricket and again i think all of us uh, who've written on cricket have have taken on this idea at some point which is deconstructing the idea of the match winner where you know in pakistani understanding of cricket the idea that one person can overcome 11 is is a very very um seductive one and in 99 it's really the year where from 1 to 11 you look at it and you can I think maybe nine or eight out of those players were capable of beating a lot of teams single-handedly, um, and obviously it didn't come together in those big moments. But that it, they played like they could do that for big for large parts of the year. Yeah, one thing to add to that, I think the thing with Shoaib was like uh, the previous two three years we'd seen guys like Zahid come through. Zahid had had a great test, and then Shoaib had had the South Africa test, and like. there was always this thing of there's the next guy coming through after wasim and wakar so it was almost an expectation sort of a thing that first imran happened and wasim and wakar now the who's going to be the next guy and the, whoever the next guy was going to be was going to be the uh the guy of our generation the guy that we grew up watching right from the start right so it was like uh, unlike emmer i had a family who basically were like proper cricket tragics like my father went to i think three or four of the Uh, tests of the 82 pakistan india series so i i uh, grown up listening uh, about how imran used to come in running from the boundary and dilip doshi would be batting and he would just leave his stumps uh, to let him get bowled and stuff like that so like these guys that came through razak was there the later imran nazir and guys like that you have a certain affection towards because they you sort of think of them as your boys and like shweb was the the peak of those guys he was the best of them he was the most exciting of them he was and he represented the 
the our generations you know uh, dreams and like the way all the flaws and all the uh, beauty of it that we would like to think of and sort of like what imran would have been for the guys who grew up in the 70s and 80s still had the gora brown sahib thing still had the colonial mindset and all that stuff shoaib was like so deeply and like so purely desi like there was that thing with him as well so with him and razak and when those guys came into the team it almost felt like as emer said 1 to 11 like anyone could win a match at any point which isn't the ideal way to build a team but like uh, from a, a perspective of a fan who who lives on hope that's the most seductive thing in the world i mean i'm surprised that and and also it's very in, insightful that uh, for a you know country that's produced uh, you know imran wasim wakar but even though that even though you guys would have probably seen them at some stage but shoaib brought in that something something of an electricity right there was something, something about raw. him something raw that could transcend even the great fast bowlers from pakistan on his day because of the, the, there was that appeal to him right he was the personification of the childhood dream right what do you want to do when you're 12 years old you want to run as fast as you can bowl as fast as you can and the only thing that matters is the batsman and the stumps like ca- catching or lbw those sort of things don't matter and he was like the what the uh, a young boy wants to be when he wants to be a cricketer no one wants to be a batsman i think the uh, cricket is already completely biased towards batsmen but no one wants to be a batsman people just uh, fool themselves into thinking that that's a good thing to do <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah. I, i just wanted to add a bunch of things as well like uh, on shoaib and then the team as a whole that uh, i think you know when you go back to that dismissal of sachin so um immediately he roars uh, shoaib like he the, the ball comes in sachin basically misses essentially a full toss um and this dead silence and you can hear shoaib screaming and he's running and he's he's got that uh, what would become his trademark airplane celebration and instead of going towards the keeper he kind of veers and is going towards fine leg and he's still running and you can hear moin khan yell at him wapis aaja you know and 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 there was you know up until that, that time especially these dismissal. guys would because is it dravid one it's one of the two yeah uh, sachin was the one i think yeah the sachin one they're all going knees. crazy you're right you're right so and, and and so in that sense like basically i think all these guys uh, you know these verbs that still played under imran and sector so there's still a bit of um perhaps a reserve there or you know like that maybe it's a self consciousness or you know a certain different way of being and again like these guys were a cricket exploding onto television was still a, a work in progress that these guys had lived through shoaib was very much almost a product of that and the other thing i was thinking about again like i i'm sure listeners must be sick to death of me talking about being 16 but you know when you're <laughs> 14 and you think oh man i can't wait to get old it's going to be so awesome and i'll do this and i'll do that and blah blah and then you get old and you're just like holy shit i wish i was back to being a kid again um i think for the pakistani cricket fan this was this year was very much like that like we we come to the 90s and pakistan was always there or there about you know since the 92 world cup it had been a really really uh, 
a team that was really good on paper like again you know you've got uh, killjoys like hasan ul give us the stats but um in terms of their reputation they were seen as one of the best teams in the world and it felt like 99 is the year that everything will come together and things will really get well uh, great but in retrospect it's really the final hurrah right and so this is actually the year where like all that kind of um the golden years for us as cricket fans would end when it genuinely felt like a new golden era was now finally starting after having sputtered for like a few years yeah yeah i think uh, you know it's interesting that you uh, interesting that he didn't play in the first two tests uh, he didn't play in uh, what was this test series that test uh, that he played in was the uh, asian test asian the first test game of the asian yeah. test championship uh, the thing about that team which i uh, sort of wanted to bring up early on and i didn't was that uh, very uncharacteristically uh, for most of the year the core was very very uh, similar like you had these um, seven eight players who played across both one dayers and tests and it was quite stable i mean there was wasim as captain then said anwar uh, yohana who was yohana back then and then inzi uh, you had ijaz uh, playing quite a bit and then saklen uh, shoeb uh, wakar came in and out but then you had moin moin who was like a regular and moin who had a sensational year Uh, yeah. across uh, formats but one of the other breakouts in just like a couple of tests before and i think uh, who played one of his his greatest innings across formats perhaps you can correct me on this was a freely <laughs> i mean where did that chennai 100 come from man is like I, i was thinking oh my goodness we have like he was basically in my head he was sevag before sevag because sevag hadn't yet come on and i thought yeah. like this guy is going to be the greatest batsman ever <laughs> he's like what is he doing <laughs> i i, th- I, I think i let emmer talk on the sweetie <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it says so much about that year that it's been about 20 minutes and we're finally talking about chennai arguably <laughs> one of the best test matches of all time yes. you know um, yeah. it's, it's a fantastic game sorry everybody ashes test though uh, yeah <laughs> the, arguably yeah but, um, but you know, by the way that... talking about it both chennai and calcutta were uh, uh, probably two of the greatest tests of all time i mean because the for pakistan's sure, sure. Uh, recovery in calcutta was uh, <laughs> yeah. and then of course chennai I mean, was seesawed throughout even delhi it, it was a strange match because pakistan had that huge target and they get to get to like 100 without loss and then afridi gets out in a really weird way and then suddenly the collapse like there yeah. was there's an alternative universe in which even that match played out very differently um but so and so yeah coming back to chennai like i mean we can talk about the afridi things we can talk about probably the best delivery of asim akram's career which is again a very very high bar uh, yeah. when he gets dravid out or any bowler's career by the way <laughs> yeah right exactly yeah so that's probably like your all time um and that afridi and so again like uh, you know afridi from here really won't find himself again until woolmer comes into the, uh, to take over which is another four years down the line so this was basically the first kind of spur- and this was really afridi represented i guess like that um again you know 99 is a great mirage so when we're looking at talking about it right now we talk about all these opportunities missed and this and that and the other but if you can go back to that year is basically seems that wasim has finally taken on the imran role 
right yes. and what is that role is that he's now fi- he keeps finding all these youngsters and he's grooming them and again in in later you'll realize that actually imran wasn't as instrumental in finding youngsters javed and others were as well and yevo and then as a captain wasim was far 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 more aggressive than imran was and like this but at that time it very much felt like all right the cycle is coming around and we're got this new guy and you know uh, again in the past there was especially in wasim's first stint it was always we always built teams full of match winners which meant a lot of egos which meant a lot of backstabbing this for the first time it looked like the politics were sorted and i think that was a huge thing you know there was there's no clear um, contender to wasim's captaincy everybody who all these thousands of former captains who were in the side were, were happy to be under him um and so afridi really is emerging as like you know the these these kind of exciting new finds um and as, again at that age it felt like these pakistani players can do whatever you you want them to right like they can come in there i can say they can start thrashing or they can start like you know again if you look at afridi and and shoaib akhtar they really represent a very childish approach to cricket <laughs> which is i'm going to hit it as far as i can i'm going to bowl it as fast as i can and you know again like it says something about pakistan that we made superstars out of these guys that we worship these guys but i i think very much so they represented the ethos of 90s pakistan cricket perfectly if you if you see i, I remember that uh, in that chennai test that there was a documentary uh, that was made which uh, <laughs> you know is on youtube and i'll link yeah. it too but uh, you know one of the things about uh, wasim i remember from that test is that uh, on the final day in that huddle where the camera goes really close and you can hear him say girna girna mat and then he also says uh, 50 mein unke saath out kar sakte hai partnership he says partnership lagega girna nahi ha, which is girna like girna nahi girna nahi ha which is like the basically the complete embodiment like the mantra of that whole team which was all we need is like one crack one breakthrough and then we'll just roll over everyone with reverse with the, with the new ball or if it's a clan like we talked for like half an hour and we haven't even mentioned the clan and he might be like he was at his peak as well and like uh, that india tour in particular like he was probably the best player uh, for pakistan in, uh, he he was season. possibly the mvp of 99 you could make that argument Mm, true like even the world yeah. cup even yeah. even the hobart test he took 6 for 46 in that so it's like he uh, but at the same time because he was a spinner so like no one cares uh, but at the same time it's like okay, that whole generation coming through at that time with all these guys and knowing that at any point you can win a match from anywhere that's like the the final day of chennai is sort of like the embodiment of that I think when Mongia got out, they needed what less than fifty to win, right? Yeah. So it's like by that stage, it's in a, a modern game or in like most games that would have been, uh, you know, the bats batting teams' uh, game to win. And yet, as until he, as soon as he got out, I think Mongia got out. I remember distinctly that I had no doubt that Pakistan wasn't going to win this match. it was like of course now the partnership partnership's broken and now they'll just run through the tail like that was sort of like a thing that you uh, took as a given 
Yeah, Monge got out uh, with 53. I just checked. He got out with 53 needed. And hmm. uh, by the way, the sentiment was exactly the, true across the border as well. When Mongya got out, <laughs> we knew we were going to. We knew India was going to lose that match. And even, it didn't matter that Sachin was still there because we knew by then that uh, everyone else would uh, do enough to let Sachin down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, there's there's that whole um, the Chennai Test really encapsulates whether it was true or not the narrative that both Indians and Pakistanis had about their teams. Which was mm-hmm. you articulated the Indian version perfectly, and and Chima said the Pakistani one because ninety nine is also the year where uh, it's such a crazy year. I'm so glad I looked at the the matches we played this year because even more than Chennai, uh, which is iconic as fuck, um, or Calcutta, or the World Cup, there's one match which I think Sharjah, you know, especially for people like yeah, dude, it, like it fucked us <laughs> up for life. Like that match more than any other match fucks people up for life. Wait, like, which match is this? That. So, so this there is, was a uh, against Sri Lanka. Uh, Sri Lanka needed, I think, thirty-eight or thirty-nine to win in the last ten overs with seven wickets in hand, uh-huh. and Rasak took a five-four, and the match was tied. Oh, okay. <laughs> like they needed, I think they needed one run, and they had like three wickets or something. Like it's, it's you have to, like basically ten sports has played it in Pakistan on their cable channel. Like I think once every five minutes. <laughs> and we've all seen it like a billion times. I don't yeah. even. I genuinely don't remember how much of it like, I saw live and how I much was, I've seen later. I thinking about that ninety nine boy Razak, but I was thinking like the so from ninety four to ninety nine, Pakistan won just one Sharjah Cup, but they won ninety nine twice in ninety nine, and then the spring one in two thousand, just three in a row. And each of those three tournaments, anyone in our generation, I can just. Uh, say one thing to them and they'll know which tournament it is so for ever like the first one was the one india 125 all out yeah we're, we're, the second uh, one was I the razak right yeah the, the second one was razak uh, in sri lanka and the third one was uh, shoaib akhtar tearing through the south africa team so like you have these distinct memories from each of those tournaments which like 20 years later we, we remember those three tournaments those three moments more than we might remember like whatever pakistan's last series was yeah and and talking about i mean i was going to come to uh, wasim in the context of uh, the uh, chennai test okay actually let me get through with that before we go into the next point um you know he this had been really long <laughs> he had captain before and uh, you know uh, had varying levels of success but as you mentioned 99 was when he uh, became like uh, went through to the imran phase almost and, and rahul bhattacharya in one piece wrote that he had a bit of gulshan grover about him as well <laughs> that, <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know that uh, look and and in that chennai test my one big memory of that test is that uh, saklan bowls the ball Sachin comes down uh, and then he misses the ball. Moin misses the stumping, and yes. Saklen goes down on his haunches. And then he looks immediately, just turns and he looks at Wazim. He looks at Akram, and Akram's <laughs> just clapping. Akram's like, you know, he's not for a moment uh, discouraged by any of this. He's like, okay, come on, get up, move on, kind of thing. And I'm like, now that is, uh, you know, it stands out because. Yeah, the best player in the other team has just been—you've uh, just missed an opportunity. But uh, Wasim's like, okay, we'll get him next ball. Yeah, I, I think I, uh, so. One of the things with him at that stage also is he's like he turns, I think, thirty-three that year. So it's like he knows this is the last phase of his career, and that find like 
uh, he's talked about this before that the, every time that he'd been the captain beforehand he always had you know uh, he himself says ki main bachcha tha jab the first time he became captain and 99 was sort of like the he the the pakistani image of captain which is basically the silhouette of uh, imran he completely fit into that it wasn't just uh, that thing like on the field if you look at that documentary his off field stuff the way he carries himself all of that stuff it's like <clears throat> he's literally at his peak and i think the uh, emer mentioned coming back from every game the, the other thing in that was that the the reason the numbers are so bad the reason the, the team apart from like of course the fixing thing is that the batting was never that great like saeed anwar was a great batsman inzi was a great batsman and beyond that they were all supporting acts so the, the bowlers always had to do more than like they would in any other good side and that was the thing with wasim that whatever the case he was always the one who was leading the charge like every uh, we talked about the razak Uh, Sharja match and even in that it's the the catalyst was was seen getting i think a couple of wickets in the 41st or the 42nd over then you look at uh, uh, even chennai like i know uh, saklan got the wickets and everything but we look at what was seen did in that the whole that whole world cup and again the thing with that australian tour was that was the first time in like our lifetime we'd seen wasim look mortal uh i think and also you've got to keep in mind is that um the the story as as chima said like with wasim's story you kind of felt that you know it was meant to go a certain way and it had gotten derailed all these years in the middle and it was very reflective of pakistan's 90s team as well again like for somebody like me who's 8 when pakistan won the 92 world cup um mm. and then they go to england and they have this amazing wild series um then they go to new zealand and they win that uh, test match where the the target is 100 something and new zealand's bowled out for 93 um and so in a lot of ways the 92 93 side and the 99 side are very much kindred spirits you know and and in a way it felt like in the middle we and again this is a uh, a child's perspective on it uh, so maybe the numbers will say otherwise but for me it really felt like that you know the the kind of cricket that i expected pakistan to be playing when i first started watching it and it always seemed around the corner but something or another would happen there'd be a, somebody would quit from captaincy or there'd be this happening or that happening 99 felt like everything was coming together and so because everything was coming together for wasim um everything from pakistan cricket seemed to flow from this guy you know like when you asked me about afridi when you asked chima about saklan we immediately made references to wasim um in fact you know again like with with shoaib as well um he's again his grooming and his kind of usage and and figuring out how to use him as a shock tactic that's what seems captaincy as well and so he he his shadow uh, looms over this entire era and specifically this year like i think this year is a microcosm of a lot of narratives that populated uh, that entire decade yeah and uh... talking about uh, i mean achima did mention the bowling but uh, if you look at that bowling attack i mean you had wasim uh, and then uh, there were there was wakar in certain phases but then shoaib really came into his own and then you had razak and even azhar mahmood had a couple of uh, had a few really good performances uh, through that year and then you had saklan and uh, mushtaq uh, came in and out here and there and then afridi who was also part of the team i mean this was like 
a potent bowling attack for all conditions across both formats, right? Like even right now, if you if you take all of those guys and you put them them in any team in the world right now. uh they'd be the one challenging india for the test title right like that's as complete a bowling attack all conditions bowling attack that you can have and but of course but there was also pakistan's batting by reputation alone this is an all time great bowling attack but you know like uh, again maybe it was a question of deployment like there was there wasn't there was always it was always one guy doing the damage you know so like one day it's a clan star and one day it's shoaib star and one day it's wasim star whereas when you take all these names together you have this expectation that everyone's turned up and and 100% all the time and you didn't mm-hmm. get that with this team i think you know especially with with and again 90s cricket in general when we we'll, you know kids will look at it today and they'll see the lack of diving and the terrible fielding they'll realize like there was obviously a very different approach to the game as well it's not really until the australians come around and really rationalize and and make it so much more efficient and you know um to to all these things where everyone has this role and supposed to perform 110% with this team it was like we have an embarrassment it's it, i think a great um analogy is real madrid you know um <laughs> the real madrid that especially emerges a few years later where you've got galacticos essentially and it's not like they're going to play the most cohesive team game and that they'll always be dominating the opponent but they'll always have enough quality to overwhelm you uh, so um coming to the uh, world cup you know one of the uh, things that uh, seems to have i mean of course the the loss in the final uh, seems to get uh, seems to have captured uh, a lot of the memory of that world cup when in fact uh, pakistan's performance before that was uh, perhaps the best in all world cups i mean they did win 92 yeah. but apart from 87 they were, they were far better team in 99 and they played far better the thing with that is the bangladesh game the india game the south africa game the three games they lost before the final all of those can be rationalized because pakistan one of the keys to that whole team was that pakistan only turned up when they needed to so the bangladesh yeah. game they already qualified and they had like six points for the super sixes already the super sixes started they needed to win one out of three games they lost to south africa they lost to india but just easily rolled over zimbabwe because they just needed to win one game so they won that one game so like and then the same final happens pakistan are in a good chasing side 240 to chase and it's the greatest opening partnership literally in pakistan history that happens so like going into the 99 final it's like it's the, they are the best team they've already beaten australia beforehand they've uh, run through everyone when the uh, you know when the chips were down or when the, there was something on stay uh, at stake so there's this whole like build up plus the other thing that you have to remember this whole 99 thing we mentioned india we mentioned sharjah we mentioned the world cup the one thing that is key to all of that especially for someone of my or emers generation is the the time period so when the 92 world cup happened i have like vague memories of that but like you would wake up at like early morning to watch those matches and stuff like that but the sharjah games they would start at like 3 pm or 2 pm uh, in the afternoon go until like 10 pm the world cup in england the matches started at 3 pm pakistan time the india games a lot of, i think the tri series they were the day night games they were also afternoon and evening plus with the world cup was also in the summer so you had the summer holiday so you literally had this like the world was conspiring to force you to watch literally every ball 
while Pakistan were at their peak. So it almost seemed like going into that final that, you know, God was blessing us at that moment. So yeah, um, yeah one thing I, I must I, mention I, here though I I let me just bring in this one point I mean I it's probably uh, uh also interesting year because Pakistan played just one uh, international game at home through that whole year which was that uh, <laughs> test against Sri Lanka in the Asian Test Championship uh which of course uh, people on uh, the Indian side of the border will say was uh, cheating a test where they cheated to uh, put india out of I that final i don't even remember that match man yeah, yeah i mean the great uh, wajahatullah wasti scored 100 in both the uh, innings in that okay. test there we go again as and... i said there's a reason i don't remember that <laughs> well yeah and of course we can't no, we can't uh, do a podcast on 99 without mentioning wajahatullah wasti uh, who was also part of the greatest uh, opening partnership ever that uh, hasan just mentioned in the semi final of the world cup uh but yeah i mean that's a point i must remember which so which ties into your point about how a lot of the cricket that in that year was taken in via tv and it so happened that it was perfect timings for you to watch it as well yeah i think you know what uh, chima said about uh everything conspiring that summer um i and this is really self indulgent but i've never had an opportunity to do this uh to tell this story in all its details because basically uh, in our school the election for the head boy was a was a, or a head girl and soon council was a democratic thing so uh, in a lot of schools the they just choose like the kids yeah so they all they, they just choose the kids with the highest grades or whatever but in our school like you know most kids could stand for would would be chosen and then you have the election and so like one of the guys was my friend who i beat uh, usually good looking people did really well on this and this guy became a movie star um so you know like i got more votes than he did um and it was a really insane moment of validation for me and so we would do this in the fi- in the final month of 10th grade even though 11th grade was your final year and that's when you're in the student council they used to do it before the summer vacations so in the final few months you go to school wearing that big black gown and again in a colonial society uniforms and their own hierarchies are super important so you know you get to wear this really cool gown um and suddenly i had this confidence i'd never ever asked a girl out and i go and um asked this girl for her phone number um and i get it and i to this day remember it um and i really liked her and i was super excited and i think that was the last day of school and that's really when the world cup begins and this person like you know this person i dated for for years my first real uh love and all of that jazz but to give you an idea and you know the how crazy that world cup was like i basically didn't call her even though i had her number from when that world cup started and then i was just so involved in it i was living and breathing it constantly <laughs> and then it ends and pakistan loses and and so now that i've never officially dated i have my first heartbreak um and in later in life i'll realize like you know i i really learned how to love because of cricket right like you know love when you see it in movies and shit is like oh, okay this love it's always so like uh, fantastical and and positive and optimistic like love in something like pakistan cricket really teaches you the you know how love is a dark thing as well and a difficult thing and you know this the the kind of heart wrenching pain that i had after that final i think i didn't speak for and it wasn't just me like I, my whole generation um so many people stopped watching cricket after that day um yeah. you know it was just like it, it felt like you were in a funeral across the country for like a week 
um like i eventually so eventually i call her by august or something she's like what the hell you didn't call the entire time and and you know in my head like i it's a dick move but in my head i was just like i just had the most greatest romance and then the most tragic heartbreak i'd ever experienced so i was in no position <laughs> to you know try and and start another relationship um but thankfully i was 16 you heal faster than um and i was in love both with cricket and and uh, people uh, again but but again like you know the, if you just look at that year so that that world cup final um i just wanted to give you the idea of like you know how how heartbreaking what happens in 20th june um and by 15th october so about like 4 months later that match that team and i were talking about happens in charja um and so you know again like as no matter how terrible you felt this team was so compelling that you were kind of sucked back into it um uh, even after something as, as catastrophic as that world cup is there a chance that uh, she is listening to the, this podcast this individual i highly highly doubt <laughs> <it>. um, <laughs> so, so you were basically uh, you basically cheated on her by following this world cup and then getting your theoretically theoretically we we had never i just had taken a number i didn't ask her out <laughs> ask her out so i just said can i call you at the same time I, i i still think like for anyone of our generation like this team will always be the priority this team will always be the one that basically yeah. fucked us up completely like yeah. none of us can think straight none of us can actually follow a sport normally like if you are sitting like i'll give you an example so we were doing a uh, ryan and i were doing a football show in 2014 for the world cup and when brazil lost to germany 7-1 the the calls that we received and one of the our fellow panelists basically said ki this match was fixed because that is the thing that you go to that is how much you know you are completely messed up in the mind that every single thing you need to rationalize it is with a conspiracy theory like that there's guys in pakistan who basically are like celebrities just because of the the fact that they make up bullshit about conspiracy theories that's all that uh, political journalism is in pakistan to be fair and uh, i i remember the when i was in uh, i have to mention this in 2006 i in uh, uh, when i was in pakistan covering the india series there uh, almost uh, you know there was this by that time safraz nawaz had become like this uh, <laughs> legend who would say that every match is fixed every ball is fixed everything that you see on a cricket match is fixed and i remember when uh, you know every time pakistan used to lose a match there would be like uh, he would be on tv and he would be saying it is purely because it's fixed and i, I was i wondered where this started so maybe 99 is a sort of a point from where it maybe blew up that way you, you know said we when we talk about conspiracy theories again in our generation um there was this uh, there's this blog back in the days when blogs were a thing called 5 rupees a friend asan uh, but uh, wrote this piece about how every crazy right wing conspiracy theory in pakistan is actually true um and he wrote this sometime in the late 2000s um but at that point there was a lot of these conspiracy theories which were very very strong in the 90s and and so and then they were later proven for example that the polio campaign is actually a covert operation by the cia which turned out to be true um that they were robots. robots in this there were robots in the sky that were blowing up people which turned out to be true there was you know yeah there was paid white uh, you know uh, 
what we call it, private contractor soldiers running all over the country, which turned out to be true. Um, and again, like when you're talking about fixing, like that was one of those most prevalent things. And fixing was at this level where, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I think what is really difficult to impress, like, it had pervaded the national psyche at every level. Like, if you know, people probably felt gully matches were fixed. Like, it was <laughs> at that level. And, and you know, like, every now and then something would come out or something would happen and it would kind of, there'd be enough, like, like, I think in 99, I was in great denial about fixing. But by the time you're talking about 2006, like, I think enough shit had come out that most of us had had made our peace with it. And, you know, we're like, all right, this clearly <laughs> happened in our historical <laughs> yeah. past. This wasn't just a conspiracy. But, but like, talking know, about that... Even Sir had, had some <laughs> valid points. <laughs> talking about that World Cup, though, I mean, one thing about the World Cup that I remember is how Pakistan had a set formula for most of the games that they played, especially when they were batted first. Pinch you blocker. Had, yeah, you had pinch blocker Razak. They would just be, you know, chilling till the 40th over. And then Moin or Azar Mahmood or Wazim or, or somebody would basically just come and take the score to 250 or 250 plus. Yeah. And they had a bowling attack good enough to defend it. Now in the yeah. final, they were all like 60 odd for two or something. And then you had, uh, you know, uh, Razak still batting. And you had Ijaz who who was there, and then the unraveling was just spectacular. After that, I mean, sixty odd for two to one thirty two all out. And then, so I mean, there's one thing uh, that 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 again it took almost twenty years to come to terms with, but we've seen it now that the, the Australian side and since ninety nine has now taken a once in a generation Pakistani, a once in a generation Indian, once in a generation Sri Lankan, and once in a generation Kiwi sides. And absolutely destroyed them in the finals. Like <laughs> each one of these teams have, you know, literally these are Sangha and Mahila at their peak, Ganguly side at their peak, McKellum side at their peak, Wasim side at their peak. And they get absolutely slaughtered by Australia in the final. So I think the, the analysis has to incorporate that, uh, I don't know, un, unquantifiable thing at some level. Um, I think also that, you know, the, the Lord's pitch was drying out and that was something that was uh, playing on the minds of what was always a very feeble batting lineup. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, like, I mean, that's the problem with it, right? That if you're going to, um, like Australia were the kind of side that back in the 90s, they were very, South Africa would beat Pakistan so often because they were efficient and relentless. And again, yeah. that's what Australia do at that time. Like in modern day cricket now, if you're at 60 for two and the other team's still attacking, the response would be that, all right, you start hitting over the circle and push the field back and, you know, you fight back. This 99 team, most teams would, if you've got two wickets, would then relax and, you know, be happy that they're scoring under three and over. And that's what Pakistan would be counting on. Um, Australia wasn't going in with that plan, probably because they'd seen that plan blown up in their face uh, in the group stage. And the, the other thing and that is, like, I've talked to a lot of those guys who are in that team and, like, no one, uh, like, every other thing, obviously, off the record, they talk about the salacious shit as well. But, like, the 99 final, when you talk about the toss, it's always, like, uh, every anyone you talk to, he says, I was saying, uh, let's chase because it's overcast. But yeah, uh, the yeah. captain wanted to. So basically, there was, I think the, in the dressing room, there was this uh, insecurity as well because it had rained overnight. Uh, but Wasim still wanted to bat because he was like, Skipper always said bat first in big game and stuff like that. 
and that basically that I think insecurity then was what allowed that to unravel. Plus the other thing, like I've now worked with Australians quite a bit. Brad Haddon, I think is the personification of Australianism. I think I remember I once uh, told him that when he played for Australia, he was the player I hated most. And he said that uh, I take that as a compliment, which is sort of like what, what I think of that whole like 99 to 2009 Australian team and their mentality. And even right now they've got Haddon and Ponting back in the dressing room. And like in a year, they've gone from like being uh, completely out of everything to World Cup semi-final, uh, ashes drawn and they're, they're Australia again. And it, it's, I think it all goes back to that sort of a mentality and that Pakistan team for all its bravado always had insecurities about their own batting. Uh, batting unit as a whole and that Australian team had an insane amount of uh, I, I won't even call it that self-belief but because that's like giving them credit for something that they did it's like an insane amount of arrogance and uh, the fact that that happened and then the uh, the 16 17 match unbeaten run happened the fact that whatever they wanted eventually started happening must have only uh, like emboldened their belief in themselves, I guess. I also, I, I think, uh, wanted to point out, like, this This is a... I was watching this show called Succession. Sidney, do you watch it? <laughs> oh, I, I did uh, see your tweets about it. I didn't... I haven't watched it yet. So, sure. that's about the relationship between a father and a son. There's uh, the godfather. There's um, Sacred Games right now, of course, was then, you know, about uh, Guy Tote's three fathers and uh, the whole discussion about the relationship between father and a son. There's a story I remember from 99 that Ijaz tells where he says that um, uh, we've decided to, we've won the toss and decided to bat first because that's what Wasim likes doing. And, uh, and Imran, according to Ijaz, shows up and he's at the final and he goes, as, like, I remember Ijaz telling this story and he, he tells it like this, he goes, and um and, and he says that basically, you know, you guys fucked up. And I think I think about this a lot. I'm thinking if I'm Wasim Akram, you know, it's it's like uh Michael Corleone or or Kendall Roy or uh, Guy Tone Day that as much as you make it in the world, ultimately a lot of what's driven you is this desire of validation from your father. And and father figure or spiritual father or whatever the fuck and like I think you know that's exactly what Wasim and, and Imran are and I don't know if Imran said this to Wasim or whatever he happens but it is remarkable that like the Godfather shows up and you know kind of at the e literally at the start of the match is like says you guys fucked up especially like I'm I'm surprised especially Chima's work with uh, with team so you know uh, there is a there's a lot of effort spent into staying in a certain mindset, you know, ignoring maybe, yeah, sure, it is overcast or whatever, but like, we've got to believe that we're going to win today constantly. And so, you know, for someone like of Imran's stature to show up at Lords and tell the team that they've fucked up at the start of the match, like that story always stayed with me that I found it so bizarre that that actually happened specifically because Imran was so famous for inspiring people um, that that he would do something like that. And so I think, you know, there, there, is, there is that... Uh, an, an argument that when both Chima and I started writing, we would have dismissed as bullshit. Um, but it's really about mentality. And you know, when you're up close and up, when you're, and again, you've interviewed a lot of players, 
you really see that you know that's really where it comes down to in that very moment who's yeah. uh, it's about mindfulness almost right like who is more present in that moment who's more aware of their limitations who is more actively seizing the initiative we see that in every sport and a lot of other situations in life um and 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 so when you look at that final in those moments there's a lot of moments that pakistan a had the law of averages meant was going to catch up with them they were going to get a relentless team and they were going to like not be able to get out of it the way they did in the group match um and that secondly that you know a lot of like the teams inherent insecurities and and uh, quick way of losing belief and everything really came to the fore in that against a team that as a legacy does that with every team it seems to face in world cup finals yeah it's interesting that you bring in the imran and the world cup final because during this world cup i read a story uh, in a sri lankan newspaper uh, by rex clementine about how imran was at the, at the before the 96 final he went and asked uh, ranatunga what he is going to do and ranatunga said i'm going to uh, i'm thinking of fielding because that's our strength and imran said what's wrong with you are you crazy you should bat and then and then ranatunga actually ranatunga actually mentions this he says that this was i mean a guy like imran tells you that you can't ignore it it's it's and you know now imran is so much more human because of his his life after cricket but mm. and again yes. both team and i missed this properly but like when you look at those numbers and and those moments you kind of get why why talents like wasim and rana tunga guys who would you know who are all time greats in in respective ways um would would be uh would still have all these you know like imran would still loom so large over and especially over asian cricketers you know i think more than anyone else both rana tunga and wasim akram represented like a new kind of um face almost of uh, asian cricket and imran had kind of been the transitional one before them yeah. um so yeah uh, <laughs> and the, the, and the other mega the other thing is ke like if you even if you talk to those guys right now like i have worked with the scene for two years with garvik for two years like saklan everyone i basically talked to they have this sense of reverence and worship about imran that not even javed has no one basically apart from wave wave and imran are the two guys that are almost seen as like uh, godly figures superhuman yeah all those guys and it's it's a thing that i've even seen with like other cricketers from other countries as well like wakar doesn't get that javed doesn't get that but imran and wev are seen as like this other worldly things and when they talk about them the stories that they tell like in every single imran story that you might hear from someone he won't ever come out of it as you know the guy on the losing side It'll, the story will always be about how great imran was there are no bad imran stories so even whatever he's done over the past 20 years in politics and stuff like that every single cricketer that you talk to who played under him has a, is almost like nashayosko imran almost yeah and many in this 99 team had uh, sort of uh, played with him uh, too right i mean you had uh, wasim the captain who of course came up under imran and then you had so many others uh, wakar avakar and then uh, you know salim salim so uh, that's the other thing like we talk to a lot of them and the one thing that they say is that 
the 92 win was both the best and the worst thing that happened to them so like one of the reasons they got sidetracked as much as they did in the mid 90s and then the uh, the motivational aspects of it and the fixing and everything comes into it all a lot of them mention it like not overtly but if you read between the lines it's obvious that once they'd won that it, they didn't feel like there was a thing for them to conquer again until basically 1999 because even in 96 they lost that and then feeling like that their thing was taken away from them so 99 was the thing for them and i think for most of them 99 broke them as players as well like none of them ever really recovered from that i think nc was the only one who actually performed well after the 99 world cup uh, amongst the guys who were part of the 92 amongst squad amongst the veterans yeah one one batsman i want to talk about though i mean uh, you know we ha- of course that team had uh, saidanwar we spoken about afridi there was inzamam there was yohana pretty much starting out but let's yeah. tell me something about ijaz i mean in my head <laughs> ijaz basically had two modes he either was like a, a woodcutter who was just like yeah. an axe murderer almost on his day i still <laughs> remember that uh, 97 against india in lahore he just went yeah. batshit and just yeah. stomped yeah. all over india and then the other thing about ijaz i always remember is that he had the most ridiculous ways of getting out man and <laughs> like he would get out in ways that no other batsman had even conceived of getting out the way he would get bowled at times and he would come down the track and then that dominic cock ball that uh, comes <laughs> on youtube like what was ijaz but at the same time uh, for all the talk of uh, technique and everything ijaz with his technique had a tremendous record in australia and even on this tour i think he probably got 100 in 99 yeah he did <laughs> i think ijaz has a 100 on every tour to australia that he played and he plays three of them or something i i know this he has some crazy numbers in australia yeah and like he has 12 test hundreds and six of them are against australia so like because the thing with him was with that like completely random technique that he had the only thing he could play was like a shot of a length ball so and that's what the aussies used to bowl so he was like super comfortable with that but <laughs> a lot of other th- things like uh you mentioned the ways he ke- kept getting out i was in festabad recently for the domestic t20 just hanging out with a lot of the boys the current even in the current team and uh, these some of them have like a list of like ijaz dismissals that they point to when they say ke this was deliberate so like <laughs> the, all of those guys have like there's a whatsapp group which shares like uh, any suspicious stuff from the 90s amongst themselves <laughs> okay the whatsapp group of uh, that uh, i think uh, the delhi police would like to also <laughs> have access to <laughs> yeah uh, yeah but but uh, i mean if you take the great uh, top 5 or even top 10 pakistan batsmen ijaz is probably not going to be there so how would you i mean after all these how would you look at ijaz as a batsman i mean was he just like a an anomaly or was he someone who was very good how would you what do you how do you categorize him i think if you're watching pakistan cricket at that level, at, 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 in that era and so if you haven't seen miadad mm-hmm. um you know i think the only batsman that you're interested in watching is Said Anwar um yeah. because Said Anwar is not just good to watch but he's also a player who's actually a quality player so he can uh 
take on quality bowlers and he can show up in important matches and everything and everyone else is just like this kind of idiosyncrasy um that exists <laughs> so that pakistan you know fulfills its obligation of playing out 50 overs and setting yeah. a target so that we can watch its bowlers and you know i this it sounds funny but if you think about this like yes enzimam is a great batsman but he is his numbers are very much the stereotype of the asian uh, giants you know who's got great but numbers even, at home even even inzi only got like respect when he once uh, when he became the captain like he yeah 19, exactly that was going like, to say my second point Uh, exactly like 99 may um, wasn't like inzi if you say, asked anyone of our generation your three favorite pakistani players in that squad so like, those would always be like 11 inzi. bowlers <laughs> <laughs> you know like the, like if you think about it, so afridi was a bowler primarily at this point right? like yeah he did that 100 but we're still using him all over the place um, and and he's uh, i think yeah like when it comes to batting like it's really you know there's there's no stability like i mean there's i was recently asked by some magazine to you know compile the best innings of the 21st century or something um or this decade or some i forget and i was thinking of putting babar azam's uh, innings in the world cup uh, against new zealand and then i was like okay i'm clearly doing this because i'm a pakistani but then i was like no i remember why this was important because i think chima has the numbers like this is the first time anyone in uh, in the middle order for pakistan had scored a 50 against the top 8 side or something chasing in a world cup since 1980 first 100 first 100 since the 87 world cup uh, for a middle order guy and the first chasing 100 ever yeah there we go right so it's literally like that is how terrible that's how that's where the bar is for pakistan and the, the 90s are i think especially bereft in that era that when you take side that were because again he's opening so there's a limit to you know the impact that he can have um, ov- overall where he's facing the new ball and you know necessarily have a lower kind of average and again the 90s a time for great really great bowling um all over the world and then after that you really you know yes you've got salim malik who <laughs> really a decade ago was uh, yeah. <laughs> was was, yeah, uh, so was I, i have to say one new player Yeah, I have to say one thing about Salim Malik. So Salim Malik was the guy that, like, my parents always said because they'd seen the Kolkata seventy odd and stuff like that. That he was, you know, a great player, and I re- refused to believe that whatever the case because all that I saw of Salim Malik was just pure mediocrity. Yeah, I think uh, you have to be a little older to appreciate the madness that was Salim Malik because I that uh, Calcutta innings was uh, perhaps one of my very first memories of cricket. and uh, you know that yeah. 72 of 30 odd balls back in 87 or something and there were people around me watching the game at home just going insane like insane <laughs> with disappointment that a batsman was able to hit that way back in 87 so yeah i think uh, a lot of indians of that age remember that innings uh, really really <laughs> really really with a lot of uh, deep disappointment and salim malik is also i think someone who every single Every single kid who saw Salim Malik bowl would have bowled like him at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that action. Both it, both it, though. Salim Malik bowled like you know when you're playing on the street, especially in Karachi, you mostly play on the streets. Um, 
and in the middle this this uncle who's like got this huge belly and has like eight kids and he insists on playing yeah. right and you kind of like everyone's looking at each other they you're all kids so you can't say no to an adult and you just got kind of like fuck this dude and like his he's so fat and everything that he can't bowl any other way other than like this kind of floaty jumpy kind of thing and again like that character is so salim malik like i'm sure all of us have encountered this this a uh, gentleman that i'm talking about so, and the, um, the the other thing is like i've talked to like multiple guys who played with him like he averaged i think 43 or 44 in test cricket and i asked them like everyone like has this uh aura about sari malik like the, how great a batsman he was especially in the late 80s and i i always wonder like okay the odi record that's fine because he batted lower down the order but why does he have such matlab he has a good very good players record in test cricket but he doesn't have a great players record and multiple guys have basically told me that if uh, salim malik tried in every game that he played he would have averaged 50 in test cricket which takes you to the other thing about salim malik of course <laughs> yeah uh, but but talking about a batsman who perhaps uh, i mean i mean who is definitely uh, had a much more successful career which was anwar and had a great 99 uh, made a fantastic 100 in calcutta and then 200s in the world cup uh, some semi final yeah semi final and then even a 100 in australia i think right and yeah. uh, the first two tests he had 102 50s in four innings basically said anwar and that, i guess there's a lot of left hand cricketers through the offside where the mechanics of playing that actually let me rephrase that now that we live in the era of steven smith it's <laughs> perhaps not so apparent but you know back in the day somebody playing so far away from his body and and uh, not playing straight batted shot and all of those things was a big issue but you know now i feel that was his uh, he was one of the first batsmen who figured out that i don't have to have an answer for everything if my answer, if my best answer my go to answer is good enough for most things you know what i mean like there was a difference in um, cricket as as i we've talked about a few times like cricket starts changing at the end of the 90s and really australia takes that lead forward and one of the things that australia instills is that you don't have to be the perfect technician to be an extremely valuable cricketer um and so said i think um had again a lot of these guys had a lot of talent had a lot of uh, confidence but you know what was somebody who was able to um, i don't know what was the reason but he was really was one of the only batter and one of those players that uh, that w- was able to transcend the situation or was able to become a match winner like you know again like we talked earlier about 1 to 11 being match winners but really uh whoever said's opening partner was and guys <laughs> from 2 to 5 3 to 5 were were not necessarily uh, winning any matches <laughs> at least during this time and not that great said anwar so again if you go back to the mythology of the world cup final the final switches um, <laughs> pakistan is <laughs> pakistan is winning pakistan's doing great and again we're kids right so we don't know about all this logic all we need to know is wasim bhai was going to say tails when he caught the coin goes up he says tails it's tails we win the toss we bat first that's what pakistan always does like that is you know i think even now like i think someone like uh, chima who's uh, had both success as a writer and a manager looking at the numbers and everything we can tell you how ingrained that logic is in pakistan cricket to this day um and so he was doing that we were really happy about this and then all of a sudden said anwar decides to change the guard on his back 
and it happens change, change um, the grip ain't the grip sorry grip i was yeah. sorry wrong word um and and it happens at a time enough that there's a delay and up until then he'd been looking very fluent and again like now you look back at him pakistan was scoring at maybe three or four runs and over but with said anwar if he got one or two of his shots boundaries to point you knew that all right you can relax now like at least he is going to make some runs and he was really looking like that and then he changes that and in that moment i'm sure a lot of people were watching with families or like big crowds and i know that in every single crowd somebody said a you know he's gotten the message to put in the fix uh like i know that this everybody said that or if they didn't in retrospect everyone said that um and so but whatever it was whether it was a fix or not it was really that as soon as said anwar's wicket fell it felt like it's not going to be our day because the days that pakistan did well um said anwar in particular uh, left his mark on the game and i think that was really his most defining thing that he was able to make it count in those big moments more than any other batter of his generation i think uh, for me said come down to basically just two numbers in particular ek ye ke if you look at the 90s no one had a higher average opening in test cricket than him and in odis the only three cricketers who average over 40 with a strike rate over 80 in the 90s were tendulkar kluzner and said anwar so like he was there for just a, like a 6 7 year period but for those 6 7 years he was simply the be- the best pakistani batsman that i've seen and we talk about match winners and stuff like that the thing with him was like it wasn't even how good he was it was every single time he had a partner every single time he came out to open you realized how much better he was than whatever alternative you had you he would come out with vasti or ramiz raja or amir sohail or afridi and every single one of them would pale so much in comparison to said anwar that it was obvious that forget if, that it's not just people not his contemporaries to this date yeah we're still looking for the next said anwar like that, that and it's even if you go further back like post hanif post the 70s with like majid and sadik like from if you start off from like 1980 80 81 Till right now, that's like forty years. Pakistan has had one like world class opener, and we had him for like six, seven years and maximized what we could from him. And that match, it's also I just looked up the scorecard because I haven't uh, ever watched a game of that final since it happened, and I don't think I've I'd looked up the scorecard either. Either what I did remember was grip change where Saeed got out and like. the match was over like that's like a myth is that's now propagated i just looked up the scorecard so asaid wasn't even the first guy to get out vasti got out three balls earlier yeah and then there's a fuck about vasti yeah of course and then <laughs> after after said got out pakistan had like a 47 run partnership over the next 15 overs between razak and ijaz but in our minds because like when razak and ijaz came out to bat especially in england that basically meant that they were going to play the brand of cricket that would have been defensive in the 1975 world cup like that's how the pakistani number 3 and number 4 played in that tournament and said anwar uh, let me just look. yeah he scored 15 of 17 balls three boundaries so it's like there was that spark already at, as emmer said that if he's hit a couple of boundaries then this is going to be one of those days that Pakistan might have a respectable 
batting start or something like that. Of course, it didn't happen. But uh, that we haven't spoken about that one-day series, though. And the interesting thing about that is that Pakistan won the final of that series in Bangalore, where they had lost mm-hmm. that famous game three years earlier. So, uh, you guys have spoken about Sharjah and that uh, those tournaments. But did this uh, tri-series also have uh, uh, quite a big uh, impact when you were watching? Do you remember much of it? You know, I will go probably to my deathbed, <laughs> um, regretting... And I don't know what moment was, but it might, it may well have been this. I'm just I just opened up this scorecard, um, and we made 291. India's all out for 168. It's five for Azar Mahmood. Like I genuinely do not remember this match, and I remember thinking <laughs> at some point at the end of the 90s that I was so bored of trashing India all the time. And I just wanted, I wanted, you know, I felt bad for India and I hoped like they, they got this shit together. And I'm, like, I, as I said, I'll probably regret this, you know, because <laughs> it, it, it's never going to come back, right? Like, we, I never knew yes. what I was giving up on. Yeah. Like, you remember there was this uh, TIFO that the Real Madrid fans had for Atletico fans that uh, in one of the derbies, like start right before Simeone took over, right when he did take over, they had this whole, uh, huge TIFO saying, uh, a r- rival required, worthy rival required for a derby or something like that. And yeah, 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 yeah. Atletico have been whipping Pakistan's ass, uh, Real Madrid's ass. And I feel like that's like 90. For me, that was like uh, the 2001 series, India, Australia, when uh, they toured India. That was, I think, for me and for like a lot of Pakistanis, that was the first time we supported India because like over the previous 12 months, we sort of started hating Australia so much because they'd been like just bullying Pakistan yeah. so much. And after that, it was like the thing that Ember is mentioning of like the regret, uh, what do you think? Because that basically sparked India into the resurgence that's still ongoing and like Pakistan's never been the same. But if you look back at say the 99 that tri-series or even the World Cup match in 99, Pakistan losing to India was like, okay, uh, it happens like once every seven games, sure, it happens. But like from the when we grew up until the, even if you look at the tri-series in Australia at the end of the, that uh, tour, like India won, I think one, Pakistan won three of the games. So it was like Pakistan would win three or four games to every one that India won. And it was like, Especially in Sharjah, or you go to India or places like that, you would uh, eventually figure India out. Which, like, for any one of our listeners, whether Pakistanis or Indians, under the age of, say, 25, that's going to be the, probably the most alien thing that we can talk about here. Yeah, and, and uh, from an Indian perspective, uh, which is why, you know, the victories that... Uh, India had against Pakistan are still so memorably cherished. Like, people talk about that Rajesh Chauhan 6 in uh, Karachi. I saw that live. Rishi, oh, you saw that live. And uh, Rishikesh Kanitkar's 4 in Dhaka. Or, yes. uh, you know, the World Cup games. Not just the Pakistan-India angle of it, but if you keep in mind that the era that we grew up in, so the, or whatever, like that we're talking about right now, the 90s, is extremely unique because you have this absolute deluge of um, of random tournaments that are <laughs> tri-series and quadrilaterals or X, Y, and Z. And then in this era, it's all ICC tournaments or bilaterals. And so 
India, you now anyone who's lived through that era will always say, yeah, India lost all the important matches. But if you just look at the naked numbers, the only ICC events happening in the 90s, um, India wins 3-zip. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, and then Pakistan, obviously, again, as we've talked about, falls off the, the cliff. And so even in a weird way, like the further away we go away from lived memory of that era, um, even the numbers seem to suggest that India, even back then, wasn't doing too so badly. And sure, they might have lost the matches, but the important ones, they kept winning. You know, it, it sort of twists that narrative in a weird way because there's no real, you know, Coca-Cola Cup and Pepsi Series and, and, and Sahara Cup and all of that. They have no analogs uh, past, uh, you know, the mid-2000s. And so there's a whole generation of cricket fans that's matured now that's really got no context to that very weird era that we lived through in the 90s that was kicked off really by the Packer era. But 90s is, is the peak of that whole dynamic of cricket. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, then it settles in, in, in a different administrative kind of stasis. So many not know Sharjah was going Yeah, yeah. And invariably, uh, the final in Sharjah would be on a Friday. And yes. uh, and I and uh, Pakistan would win that final and and somehow I in my head it was like whenever India and Pakistan are playing a game even in this ICC uh, tournaments I always see what day it is because I feel like if it's a Friday India is going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love. I think we've gone two hours now into this or nearing two hours. And the tour that we were supposed to discuss, we still haven't got. <laughs> that is the beauty. That is the beauty of this. But now that you say it, let us get to it. Uh, 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 Hassan, you had uh, tweeted stuff about how uh, nobody should have expected that Pakistan team to do much in Australia. Given, uh, But there was, uh, let's go back to that time. There was high hope, right? That Pakistan. No, there, it wasn't even high hope. It was Pakistan's going to get uh, the revenge for the World Cup final. It was like a given thing that Pakistan would go there. And this is a team that we already beat in the group stages of the World Cup. And Wasim's the captain. So obviously the teams are aligned. They done won the Sharjah tournament. Uh, the Now it was time to, you know, wash away the sins of the World Cup final. And I think the... Day two of the first test and day four of the second test. That is basically when, like, I think that team died. Because, uh, so one of the things that, I, while I was looking up the scorecards and everything, one of the things that was fascinating to me was regarding, we were talking about myth-making and all that stuff, right? So, in the first two tests, Australia won the toss both times and sent Pakistan into bat. When you think about it, that Australia winning the toss, they bat first, that's what aggressive Steve or teams do. That wasn't the case then. But like the first test, Pakistan scored like 360, 370, something like that. Moin had his innings and stuff like that. I think Saeed and Inzi, uh, Inzi might have had 100 in that or might be in the second test. But... Uh, you, I woke up for school and like Pakistan had been bowled out for like 370-380 and Australia had come into bat and by the time re- recess happened, the end of the day uh, of the test match had happened and Australia won like 230 odd without loss and it's like, wait, what happened? Like even the idea of like a double hundred opening partnership against Pakistan was like so weird. Okay, that uh, test happens, Pakistan lose that test, but it's also like, of course, Pakistan lose the first test and they'll bounce back in the second. That's what they're supposed to do. And for three days, 
of the Hobart test, that that's the script that it followed. And then, of course, I I can't even say that out loud what happened after that. Um, so I have a story for it. Um, we had this ad maths teacher, Salasif, um, and he was a bit of a legendary teacher. So he was one of those who only teach the the senior most class. So. and they said that you know he would he would tell crazy stories and he would be cursing a lot in class and everything and so we'd had sarasif for a while and we hadn't really seen him in full flow and sarasif was the kind of guy who in the and he was a great ad maths teacher but he'd been in the middle telling us stories about and and he looked sarasif really again really uh, epitomized the change that was happening in pakistan that we didn't realize because he was ostensibly quite secular and wasn't very religious and he would be cursing and be worked quite colorful um and dressed in like you know western clothes all the time but he would be telling us he would sell us calendars to help donate to the war in bosnia and he would be telling <laughs> us about how like you know when when the christians the shoot at the muslim soldiers like angels appear and you know they help them dodge the bullets and shit like that we got like you know all right sir asif you're 16 so i guess there's not a lot of skepticism but it's also wasting class time so everyone's in for that ride um and so that match the the everyone has uh, you know some of us have gotten up to watch it from the start of the day but by 8 or 9 um everyone's come in from school to school and again you know you don't have smartphones and all of that stuff so uh there might be somebody who has a radio who has a score but um generally everyone was super confident that they come to the cardio stadium so no way they're chasing that many runs and this happening that happening and sarasif comes in after break so break would happen like i guess 11 or 12 or something and he had the last two classes and that was the first time i heard a teacher um say benchod in class um and, and again like a, a really seminal moment in my life that i'd heard an adult use this curse word um freely in a situation like this and and you know like i think it was two days later that it struck me that he said benchod because straight after that he explained how the umpires had cheated and they hadn't given langer out and they kept like not giving all these decisions and that i think at this point australia was either on the cusp of victory or had chased down i i don't remember the details but um and i remember being absolutely it was like an absolute punch in the gut and and again like i talk about this a lot like you know I, that was the year that i truly learned like like i grew up like i lost my innocence um and cricket had such a big role to play in that because it was like life turns out this way as well like up until now um i you know my first real experience of cricket was the world cup that we won in a most miraculous insane way and you kind of expected that pakistan cricket will always pull off the miracle when it needs to <laughs> 99 is a year where where the miracles are stacking up you've got chennai you've got most of the world cup run you've got that charja match usman's uh, you know seminal piece uh, the hall of pakistan cricket it really depends on that match in october against sri lanka like they obviously references another sri lanka sharja match as well but it's really that match which reinforces the idea that pakistan pulls off miracles and so what chima described like that first test we did well um, but wasn't enough that that's okay but this was our match and it was 
it was insane to kind of even imagine that we could have lost it. And again, like, you know, Pakistani fans will often uh, joke that we we either have useless players have their greatest days against us or we discover players. And <laughs> the discovery of Adam Gilchrist changes cricket as we know it today, including <laughs> test cricket and every form of cricket. And of course, Pakistan is there to introduce him in the most Gilchrist way possible. And again, Gilchrist himself coming in, there's a whole backstory about dropping Healy and and all the tension and drama around it and everything. And it's really the success of Gilchrist that allows Australia to pull off. And, and the final real thought that again torments me to this day is that as, as Hassan was pointing out, so Pakistan in the late 90s is now seeing Australia as their chief rivals. India yeah. is a historical rival that's not doesn't get you excited. And you really want to have one up over Australia. And somehow a series that should have ended, like if I'm being charitable, they, it could have ended 2-1 Pakistan. It should have ended 1-1. 3 nil was, 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 was super unfair. And Pakistan has 3 nil every time since. This was the only team yeah. that was genuinely unfair against until maybe the last one. But, uh, and, and, and then what happens is that these fucking Australians defeat everyone. They go to Australia, India. They manage to lose that fucking series. And, and Star is just launching and it's, it's, and it's in Pakistan as well. And there's this hyper-nationalist drama of the Indian-Australian uh, rivalry. And we're just like, what the hell? There are rivals. Like, how is India getting in on this? And then India goes and, and tours against Australia against, I don't even know which Australian team. Like, it literally was like, they, they it was like the porn star versions of the Australian <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, is that McGrath? No, it's not McGrath. It's this dude called... Brad McGrath. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, they have the ugly version of Shane Watson and like... <laughs> they, like Nathan Bracken. <laughs> yes. So, I don't know if Bracken played that 2004 series. But, but you know, the Ganguly gets a fucking 100 at the Gabatois. And, and, and it's just like a bullshit fucking 100. It's a bullshit fucking series. But India comes away with amazing, amazing narrative that fucking Star Plus, has, Star Cricket had spent like months parroting. And again, I remember that was the first time that Star had managed to make one of its campaigns land. Because... Up until then, Pakistan would just destroy whatever narrative they would have had um, or, or the rest of the world. But, you know, so in, in those uh, five years, the shift from Pakistan being Australia's natural rivals to just being a laughing stock that Australia had thrashed in the World Cup final and had thrashed in that form. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, 99, India went to Australia as well in 99 and of course lost 3-0. Uh, they were a very bad team then. But the fact that both India and Pakistan lost 3-0, though, of course, the Pakistani loss was uh, much more closer and uh, they were finer, the margins were much finer. But the end result, it just seemed grossly unfair. Yeah. And even to me, yeah. even to an Indian, because, of course, you knew which was the better team and which was the uh, more capable team to beat Australia. And uh, the point that Hassan raised is that uh, the you the whatever you expect to happen, uh, you know the reverse did. Like to score three sixty odd in the first innings of a first test in Australia is a huge achievement for any team. Yeah. But Pakistan yeah. managed it, and then Pakistan <laughs> managed to give a two hundred plus run opening partnership to Australia, which yeah. their bowling attack they had no business <laughs> doing. And uh, then they couldn't defend three hundred and sixty something in Perth in uh, Hobart. 
I, and the thing is that especially the two years after that like pakistan had the pakistan england australia had a tri series in england at the time pakistan i think there was something in morocco or uh, no morocco in kenya there was a series and ev and pakistan had a quote unquote home series the first home away from home series and in every single one of them pakistan was just pummeled by australia and by like by the time that uh, there was just one uh, off season series in australia the pakistan won in the indoor cricket thing but by the time the 2003 world cup happened like within those three uh, two and a half three years it had gone from being the, uh, this idea that you know we are the equals or uh, they had the 99 final but we will show them to basically by 2003 pakistan were like in uh, uh basically trauma. sort of a relationship traumatized trauma like they were the doms in the relationship and the, the other thing with the, this whole pakistan thing was that this was just such a continuous sort of a thing and that's also why maybe one day we'll discuss that but that's also why the sydney 2009 like after hobart if there's one match that hurts the most that's sydney 2009 because it was like that was supposed to be when a decade of pain was supposed to be washed away and it wasn't you know hobart because it compare it competes with a much bigger heartbreak that year there's only so far that your heart could break it was you know it, it, lords had already really showed you the depths but sydney <laughs> yeah. 2009 i honestly like i think yeah like i i think as a pakistani i have never felt like you know that was one of those moments where just i just hated the fact that i was born in this country <laughs> like but not like you know like, yeah, like it the, really the, fucked me the up the country was like that no this that was the peak yeah. of the yeah. wave of terror that was a really anarchy. really crazy year and the year i turned 26 um i got married and i moved to the uk and pakistan won the the world t20 and there was another crazy year in pakistan like you know the coup <laughs> and stuff again 2009 was a crazy crazy year and then uh, this year basically um, i didn't have too much of a crazy personal life but you know and so pakistan's world cup also was perhaps less dramatic than those other two events but definitely 99 and 2009 were just two insane years um and so maybe this uh, this particular tour to australia you know offer something um that that'll resonate with what happened those two times around because like both those australian tours are just unreasonably traumatic <laughs> and uh, one thing about the australian tour uh, and given that uh, we began the podcast with him we can probably uh, think of winding up slowly with him too is that uh, there were huge hopes for shoaib and to see how he would do in australia especially there was a test in perth and people were already talking about wasim shoaib and uh, you know pakistan uh, and then uh, the, through that whole tour you know there was all that uh, filming of his action and uh, people uh, you know the murmurs about his action and people saying that yeah. uh, he's chucking this that and uh, even him was he i mean he wasn't as effective as he could have been i mean people were saying he was more interested in the speed gun than his bowling itself was <laughs> that is there a validity to that <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, Shoaib's made no bones about his uh, interest um, in that, and and he's also spoken at length about that. You know, he got too excited about uh, playing in Australia and bowling in Australia, and it's something actually I've really felt is is 
Shoaib Akhtar is one of the first to talk about it, but it's really where, you know, people talk about how hard it is to bat in Australia, but like over the years I felt, and there are some numbers to back this up, I don't have them on hand, that opposing teams don't bat, don't get out-batted as much as they get out-bowled in Australia. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it's because the lengths are so different and the, the attack is so different. A lot of bowlers who've got those assets really struggle. Like, and, and I think it was insane, but by the end of 99, Shoaib's young career, a sort of little kind of um, uh, wrinkle had emerged, which in later years, Shoaib would do a lot to promote before back, backtracking on which was that basically the two Ws were kind of overshadowing and being a bit jealous about uh, Shoaib's mm. success, which is difficult to to claim when given that Vaseem lets Shoaib overtake Vakar and Vaseem and Vakar have no love lost themselves. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, it's not clear. But, but like, yeah, like I think at that point, like Shoaib Akhtar was still, you know, plan C. Like, it's awesome that you have such an amazing plan C and such a fun plan C. But even for most of us, like, yeah, great. If you break 100 miles per hour, that'd be really fun because you really, Vaseem and Vakar are, are in Australia. That's really what you're expecting, you know. Um, again, like, Vaseem has, um, if we did, uh, has this ability which um, had he won something in this year, his stature would have been irrev- like so much higher in Pakistan and world cricket because at that time he had that ability to come up trumps right when you needed him to. And it was really in this, maybe down in this tour down under with the, that, you know, that this entire year of not being able to find the right answer that those very important moments uh, showed him up. Yeah, I think regarding your question, uh, Shweb's Twitter handle is Shweb 100 MPH. Which, I mean, okay. tells you a lot about him. And the other thing, which I think the thing that really messes with the Pakistani mind when it comes to Australia is that both Shoaib and Wakar average over 40 in Australia, which is basically like the guys who bowl really fast, the the embodiment of the Pakistani ideal, which is the, the guy who just runs in from the boundary Basis and space, bowls yeah. really fast and, you know, just... Uh, either with like his hair flowing or with a headband on and just blows everyone away. Australia had the antidote to that bowler. And that, like, I don't think Pakistani cricket's ever recovered from that. Yeah, so on that note, here's hoping that uh, Mohammad Abbas can win Pakistan a test in Australia. That ain't happening. <laughs> well, uh Okay, I can hope, right? If if you if you really <laughs> want mean, to have the Pakistani angle, you should say that. Let's hope that Naseem Shah wins Pakistan. Oh yes, no. <laughs> let's let's roll back a little bit. Let's roll back a little bit. Pakistan fucking goes. Uh, the last time we play the team Mizbah again, we don't realize is actually over the hill. But at that time, is a great side. Was recently world number one. Goes there, plays that first. Insane match at the Gabba, which we almost yes. chased down 400 plus. And again, lose 3 0 in a series that, like, two of those matches we should have drawn. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, then India goes there and literally plays the worst fucking Australian <laughs> side imaginable with no Warner and no Smith <laughs> and fucking wins the fucking series. <laughs> and now they're back and humming, and Smith is fucking. 
god mode again and of Haan. course who's there to play them pakistan smith so, smith's so, going to break lara's record this series <laughs> <laughs> yeah the two, sure. test, two test series record right yeah no 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 the uh, 400 wala oh the 400 record okay yeah. okay yeah um Okay, I mean, un- 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 unless Tim Payne declares, which like, <laughs> yeah. so he is a he is a blessed man. He actually came no, to Pakistan. No, like I would. 11. Yeah, but I would totally imagine Steve Smith getting four hundred in two sessions against Pakistan, so that <laughs> Payne doesn't even have time to declare. Like he's just like you just played the key overs. And like this is the uh, this is the other thing. So like in when India was going to Australia, they had the South Africa loss, they had the England loss. They were building up to this. Four years building up to finally, you know, going to play Australia, Kohli and Rahane. Everyone's like sorting out their techniques for the, the Australia tour. Or India finally has a bowling unit that can compete outside Asia. All of that shit, right? Pakistan just announced their squad. Five of the, uh, two of the five bowlers have uh, never played an international match. Uh, the third is Imran Khan senior who hasn't played a test for three years. The fourth is Shaheen Afridi, who's supposed to be the best of them, but he hasn't played since the World Cup because of injuries, and you you don't know if he's even going to be available for the matches there. And then there's a Baz who'll bowl like 40 overs on the trot with Yasir bowling 40 overs at the other end, and as Smith breaks Lara's record. <laughs> well, you know, this, I I just I was thinking to Sidvi how to thank you for the end of this podcast, and and it's probably it struck me really that I think. For Chima and I, our careers as writers, a lot of it is also really coming to terms with the '90s and 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 especially this '90, the year '99. Like, if you, obviously not you, because you have a life and have time on your hands. But if one was to go back and and look at the chronology of our pieces, um, you'll really see two very different kinds of people. But because we grew up in that same time, so many of the questions that we were trying to ask and answer in our writings are really influenced. By the nineties, I'm sorry for speaking on your behalf, Chima, but I thought no, 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 that was right, something right. Uh, that that is in common for for both of us. Yeah, I'm, like I'm glad that uh, you you guys could both come on to the podcast. Uh, as uh, this uh, listeners must know that uh, we uh, took a little <laughs> bit of coordination to come together. But as I told the uh, as I told them before the podcast, uh, once things do come together, it'll be as exhilarating as the ninety nine team could be. And I hope that uh, <laughs> those who listened felt that we, way. We've we've actually talked longer than most uh, Pakistani inning batting innings. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was like, you know, how long was the eighty-one all-out innings? Because I think we've done like four of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for uh, sparing time and joining and sharing all your uh, insights. See, for someone like uh, me, uh, back in ninety-nine. uh you know growing up it was of course uh, technology was so different then so i would have never even dreamed of uh, talking cricket with someone yeah. from pakistan uh, I, i you know the pakistan team uh, we uh, many of us who grew up in the 90s in india grew up admiring the pakistan team you could say grudging admiration yeah. <laughs> but uh, also admiration because the kind of uh, talents that came forth especially in the fast bowling department was something we never dreamt of in india and that and that's completely reversed now by the way not just not the fast bowling bit but like the complete admiration of like somebody like a kohli somebody like yeah. rohit i and i'll just finish off with the the urdu and maybe the hindi listeners might get it there's a verse from habib jaleb 
which I think of every time Pakistan are going to Australia, which he basically says, and uh, what uh, for the listeners who don't understand can you it's basically this this, uh, this sadness we've inherited this is, uh, how can i write about it as if it is new ah profound profound wonderful so and that's that's the story of pakistan australia <laughs> <laughs> all right so on that note on that poetic note uh, thanks again and uh, hopefully we can uh, get you both back on at some stage maybe after the series after Pakistan wins 2-0 and we can celebrate it okay. <laughs> <laughs> if Pakistan wins 2-0 we're living in a universe where we can celebrate it in India yeah, if, if, Pakistan <laughs> if Pakistan wins 2-0 then basically after 2004 Pakistan and India after that series and there's world peace right now <laughs> yeah yeah well, I'm, I'm on the hopeful side, guys. So uh, I always believe, even in the worst of times, I always believe in uh, some cricketing miracle that will happen. So let's... That's because you've been watching India for the past 20 years. <laughs> yeah, that's because I saw Rajesh Chauhan hit that six in Karachi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. man. Thank you. And uh, thanks. I know it's a little late there. So enjoy. And uh, good night. Thank you so much. Back for the second. India have won the test match. India have won the series. They're going to get back for two. India at home. Lords goes wild.